one of the best things about doing this podcast is the community that has come as a result of it. And we wanted to continue to expand that. So if you're a first time listener or you've been listening for a while, be sure to log into Facebook and check out our Art of Coaching podcast private community. Guys, within this, we share podcast reflections, we share new episodes, and most importantly, we get Q&A and feedback from you guys because we want to put out episodes that you want to hear. So, you know, you're encouraged to share your thoughts, ideas for future episodes and all those things. The only time we'll turn you down is if we've already done an episode on that topic because sometimes there's a reality that that can just happen. We get people that say, hey, I want to hear about this. And maybe they're just enthusiastic and haven't looked back at the old episodes. So definitely check out our archive at artofcoaching.com backslash podcast. But most importantly, join the Facebook community. Please, please, please. We want to hear from you. We want to know what episodes are resonating. We want to know what we can do better. We're going to start doing some live or some Q&A episodes. Sorry, not live, but some Q&A episodes. So you can feel free. Uh, we'll post in there and we'll get feedback and we'll say your name on the air. We'll talk about your issue and we'll try to help you solve it. Listen, I don't have the answer for everything. Far from it. But I do want to help drive discussions so that we can create a greater community of leadership, fellowship, and help one another be more successful, both in our own lives and the lives of those we serve. So check it out. It's the Art of Coaching podcast community on Facebook. It's free to join. All right. I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Amy. She's a great friend. She's somebody that's taken tremendous risk in her career, put herself out there. Uh, this was one of her first, if not her first podcast. And so I always enjoy those things because, you know, inevitably people get on, they have such a great message. Um, and they're so enthusiastic about the things that they teach that they tend to find a lot of different truths in the advice they give to others in their own lives. And it's something that Amy and I have talked about recently. What I love about her is how transparent she is. There's a lot of people that when they talk about mindfulness and overcoming emotion, as Amy will talk about it, they act as if they've mastered those things themselves. But, you know, we just had a conversation the other night about certain things that can get overwhelming when you're trying to put skin in the game and, and build and scale a message that can impact others. So uh, you're getting somebody that is authentic as all get out as this guest on this episode. She's a special person. And if you're in Colorado, find a way to reach out to her, have a cup of coffee. She'll always make time for you. All right, guys. Amy Shank Morrison, here we go. Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Amy Shank Morrison. Amy's a counselor, a coach, a trainer, and all-around mental wellness specialist, which she's going to dive into in a little bit here. Uh, one thing that's unique about Amy is she's extremely passionate about the intersection and interplay of mental health with physical fitness and really focuses on working to integrate that mindfulness, mindfulness strategies and breathing work into her life and everybody that she lives and works with. And and the interesting piece about the breathing part uh, is something that we're going to dive into because you guys see more and more of that popping up. And it's it sparks some really good debates. It sparks some even better questions. 
and just really talking about the strategies and how those things uh, can improve, not, not just the way somebody thinks and the way they behave, but also the way that they perform. And that's probably the main piece about that is uh, that we're going to explore today. And, you know, the other thing about Amy that attracted me to her in terms of how she approaches everything professionally is she looks at the big picture. So really the, the holistic model of health, wellness, performance, and doesn't really look at these things in a vacuum. And I think that that can be that can be a huge separator in how people approach things because while it is good to find a niche, it's more about exploring how that niche can impact everything else around you because otherwise you start to look at things in isolation and you forget the interplay and that's not what performance is about. So Amy, I hope I did you justice there with that introduction and it's everything that I recall and, and everything that you've told me. Is there any gaps you'd like to fill? No, I think that was great. Thank you for the introduction and thank you for having me on. No, no. And I'm going to give everybody your uh, home address now as well. You sent that in the email. So uh, if you're a creeper, make sure that you go to, I'm just kidding. Well, thanks again for taking the time. And um, we have a lot of places that we could start off. But the first thing I wanted to get into is what got you into counseling and, and guiding and, and really working with people in the way that you do today? So I actually, you know, it's a funny story because I started with just coaching. I started with goal coaching people, talking to people about their health. And I would be in these situations where I would have a kind of intense conversation going on. And I would kind of reach back into my toolbox to work with somebody. And the toolbox was really limited. You know, I, I had only a few things that I could use to work with people. And I just had this realization, I need more education. And, you know, for some people that looks like they go out and, you know, they you know, get a degree online or they get a certification online. For me, it was really important to be in a classroom to get my master's degree in mental health and counseling because for me, I value education so much that I wanted to take the time to be in front of people <clears throat> uh, in, a, in a classroom setting. And you know, it's funny because I, I just feel like I knew myself well enough at the point where I went out and got my grad degree that I was like, I have to have the accountability of people in front of me asking me to complete all this work that I need to do. So that was like kind of like what got me started into coaching was I was in an environment where I was, you know, kind of required to lead people and coach people and I just wanted more tools. So then I went and got master's degree and went kind of the mental health route. And yeah, this is where I am right now. And I, I think, think one distinction, between, what'd you say? I said, obviously there's a lot in between, but yeah, no, like but I, of it. yeah, that's the key points. And I think one thing that I wanted to make sure the audience understands is <clears throat> you are actually a licensed professional clinical counselor. So not like a lot of the folks out there right now that, you know, they, they say they're a counselor or they they kind of get into the weeds where they're they're not really ethically allowed to practice uh, in <laughs> yeah. terms of their scope. So that's a big reason, you know, aside from your personality and, and Amy and I had met, uh, we were in Hawaii and uh, we had met when working at an XPT event with PJ Nessler and, and Garrett and Labby. <laughs> <laughs> Laird, Laird and Gabby Hamilton. It's a little early when we are recording this, so I'm still trying to get my head around words apparently today. And I felt like I really let, this is just a little bit uh, behind the scenes for the uh, listeners here. I felt like I had let Amy down when we met because I think I just came off probably 36,000 miles of travel. Um, I had recorded my second course and uh, 
I was really just mentally, I was shot. And I don't know if anybody listening can relate to this, but when you go into intensive periods of whether you're teaching or you're coaching or you're doing both or just whatever you do, you tend to go through this stage of delirium as you come off kind of that, that hectic period. And I was there. So, you know, I wake up and, uh, you know, XPT was kind enough that they were hosting us through an Airbnb, a bunch of us that were working there that weekend. And I woke up and, you know, here's Amy and Amy's, you know, doing some work at the counter. And she happened to have my book. I think, were, were, did you say you were reading it at the time, Amy? <laughs> that would have been really funny if I had like, you walked out and I was like sitting at the counter, like holding your book, like, oh, hello. <laughs> yeah, but you were reading it at the time, right? <laughs> yeah, I was reading it at the time. I, did, I didn't have it like on the counter. With, I mean, I that would that have been better though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, don't script the story. So you were reading my book at the time, which you mentioned to me, but I was just in full goofball mode. So I always feel like I let people down when they're meeting me for the first time and they expect this super serious you know, author who's going to talk to them and in just absolutely amazing, uh, you know, my vocabulary is going to be on point all the time. And I'm just this master of elocution. But really, I was probably just a goofball. I'm like, hey, random person, like I'm Brett. And uh, I, I just remember that was probably not the first uh, the, or my best first introduction that I had ever had. But she's weird enough that she rolled along with it. And thankfully, she had a sense of humor. And that's why we've been friends ever since. <laughs> Yeah, it worked out. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that I'm was, sure that's I'm sure that's just day was just like I think we were all really loopy. So we good. were all very definitely definitely very loopy. Now when we talk about counseling and everything that I mean, th- this is a deep piece, especially when you're trying to get people to be more self-aware, when you're trying to get people to ask themselves the kinds of questions that they need to in order to be able to dig deeper. I mean, it's it's a lot harder than most people think, right? Like what really goes into helping people become more self-aware, helping them ask the kind of questions they need to, really helping them reflect at the level they need to, to find issues that they're struggling with or kind of the core truths behind them uh, or any of those pieces. Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I love this question. I love this topic because self-awareness has been a huge factor in my own life, increasing my own self-awareness, just becoming more aware of my, uh, the way I show up for people, the, you know, the way I present myself and, you know, kind of the why behind that as well. And honestly, <clears throat> the, the thing that I notice so often with clients is that you have to just meet them where they're at. And I'm sure so many people out there can relate to the fact that it depends. It looks so different for each person who comes into your office because I might be working with a younger, you know, teen and they're just beginning to get the you know, the beginning stages of like how they can develop their self-awareness or I'm working with an adult and, you know, she needs to figure out how, you know, she's showing up in her marriage and how she needs to change. So for me, where I often start with people is actually with mindfulness, with body awareness, with breathing, because that's a really easy kind of gateway into just getting people connected to themselves and getting them connected to, okay, what am I experiencing right now? And how can I be just slow down the moment and kind of expand what's happening? Because I talk about that with clients all the time in session, you know, and, you know, honestly, this shows up in my personal training clients as well. So I think a lot of people can probably relate to the fact that you are in a session with a client and you all of a sudden notice something and you have to take in that moment and then expand, right? You have to like kind of bring everything out and look at that specific moment and say, okay, let's slow down and talk about what you just said or what you know just happened because 
that is our job, right? That's our job to allow people to kind of experience that awareness first through us saying, hey, look at this. And so um, that's a big piece of like how I start things. Yeah, that's a good point. And I I think what makes it tough, uh, you know, on my end, even when I'm working, I'm certainly not, you know, I, I don't try to dive into things probably as deeply as you do just because of scope of practice and everything, right? And I have to do a lot of this triage on the floor when I'm talking to people. But, you know, one thing that's always interested me about behavior is there seems to be a long debate about whether behavior is determined by the types of people we are or the situation we find ourselves in. And there's some good research I was reading. One was an article in 2009. Uh, I'll probably butcher the name. Guy's last name was Kruger. And then Saylor and McCullough wrote one in 2012. But what they were saying is it's now generally recognized that person and situational sources of influence are really, they're bi-directional. And so this is something that most people, I think, know and understand. For example, like, you know, if, if when Hurricane Katrina happened, there were some really good people, right? People that have families, people that are hard workers. And in these emergencies, people end up doing things that they normally wouldn't do. And you see that through looting. You see that mm-hmm. through any number of things. And that's so that's what we're talking about when we when we're mentioning the person situation context is a lot of times people think, well, it's a matter of person characteristics. If somebody behaves this way, then that must mean that they're this kind of person. But for you, where where have you seen that either in yourself or other people you've worked with where really situational factors and their lack of awareness of those kinds of things have overridden what are normally just rational behavior, right? Like, how do you make them more aware of, you know, is it the situation? Is it a personal characteristic? And, and where are there any questions that you can help them or ask them to help really lend insight in that situation? Yeah, I love this question, because I think it relates a lot to, you know, kind of what we talk about in behavioral science as triggers. And just the fact that, there are situations that people can get into and environments that people can, you know, kind of be placed back into where they shift their behavior. A lot of people notice this. Uh, in, so I'll just give a few examples. Work me versus home me. Like, why am I able to, you know, nail it at work and then I come home and I yell at my kids or like I yell at my husband or I just feel so shut down and just sad and, you know, you know, just not into what's happening. A lot of people experience this whenever they go home and see their families. They kind of experience what's called timelining. Maybe you've experienced this before as well, where you go home and you're like, why am I like a, you know, high school version of me that I really don't enjoy? Like, I don't want to be the kid who, you know, complains about loading the dishwasher. It's like, I'm an adult. Like I should actually step up and like be able to connect with my family, connect with my parents and like do dishes. This is an example in my own life. So. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like I'm with you. I hate, I, I don't mind loading the dishwasher. My wife and I, we go back and forth on this system that I don't mind loading it. I, for some reason I hate emptying it. And I'm like, how old am I? Like I really three minutes. Yeah. 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 But it's you, it's not the act. It's not the time that it takes. It's that there's so like, we have way too much stuff. You just, cause when you, you know, I get a, I get rid of a lot, you know, I'm not like a strict minimalist, but I get rid of a lot. But for some reason, I think it's just after we got married, people are just like, I have more kitchenware. And so <laughs> everything fits together like this puzzle that is just yes. unnecessary. And I'm like, I'm spending way too much time trying to figure out where this lid and this glass bowl goes. I'm going to lose my damn mind. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Or like you have like 17 sets of cups and you're like, why do I need seven different types of cup 
where, yeah. Yeah, but definitely anyway, don't. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like the yes. idea of, yes, I see those, those environmental changes. And I think one of the best ways <clears throat> that people can learn to adjust to it is to first become aware to it. And honestly, you know, using the idea of, wow, this actually, this makes a lot of sense. And so what you bring in to it with is some compassion. So what I, what I teach clients is it's almost like this model of awareness. Like we start with awareness. We start with just bringing, you know, acknowledgement and um, a realization that, okay, this is happening. I come home and I'm in this like terrible mood or whatever. And then <clears throat> come back to compassion. Okay, why is why might this be happening? Like, what kind of idea can I have? Like, what kind of idea can I get from my situation that allows me to understand what might be might the systems be? <clears throat> and it may be, you know, oh, you know, I just feel so lost at home. Like, I feel like I can't um, make sense of you know, what, what is happening with my family? Cause I feel so out of touch because I am at work so much or, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know. I'm just making that up, but you know, and then after compassion, you can move into an action, right? So an action, you know, that allows you to maybe, um, shift your behavior. And then after that, after we take in awareness, compassion, action, move into behavior change, because, a lot of people jump from <clears throat> awareness to behavior change, right? And I think of it like a cycle. You have to cycle through compassion and then action because you're going to you're going to, you know, try to take steps and then you're going to maybe step too far and you're going to be like, "Okay, I'm going to start uh, I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to journal, I'm going to meditate, I'm going to breathe and like all this stuff." But really, like you should have just started with compassion and stuck there for a little bit longer because Maybe you struggle with all of you know the things that you're trying to do because you're taking on too much. And it's like, come back to your humanity, come back to your who you are as a person, and then move forward with that. Does no, that that's good. Sense? Yeah, yeah, it's good action steps. I think what I always try to do because I won't lie to you, <clears throat> you know, a lot of the way that mindfulness was presented early on, I just thought was kind of hokey bullshit the yeah, way okay. that it was wrapped up. Just because you will get people, you know, and it's a matter of perspective. If I'm working with 10, 15, 20 guys, you know, and I'm trying to get them, you know, to overcome obstacles that they have, whether mental, physical, you know, what have you. And we're kind of doing after action stuff. Like, you know, I don't do this stuff while I'm on the floor, but it might be, you know, when I go home that night and I'm kind of reviewing the data that day and I'm calling them and saying, Hey, these are kind of how you progress over the past three weeks, or these are the things that we need to work on this off season. You know, where are you at? It can get tough to get them in that space, you know, and I, I use, kind of the three R framework that I mentioned in conscious coaching, like research, relate and reframe, which isn't exactly the same as what you're talking about. But the point is, is that I try to ask them purposeful questions because to get them to try to practice some form of mindfulness, which I think still hasn't really been well defined. I think so many people kind of, it's, it's almost like what happened with functional training, right? Mm -hmm. Like people took the word functional and all of a sudden like well, a deadlift and a squat is functional. That's what we do. You know, we're going to do that throughout our lives. But yeah. all of a sudden, it got really weird with people balancing on one leg and doing this stuff. Well, mindfulness sort of is, hey, just like be present. Think about some stuff that's going on right now and really try to block out the noise so that you can get to the key things that are holding you back, the key things that are really giving you a hard time, you know, just really being in the moment. 
And then it kind of got uh, put into this really weird place where it's like people thought they needed to do handstands on the beach and people thought that they needed to be doing, you know, and, and that might be it for some yeah. people, but for, yeah. but for an athlete from, you know, East St. Louis or an athlete from, you know, any part of the country that's like, Hey, like I've never done any of this crap. I don't slow down for anything. Like, where can we start with them? Like if we're, if, if somebody listening right now is in charge of a team and they're like, I don't have a whole lot of time when I'm on the floor with these guys, you know, during the off season or in season, I maybe get a little bit of time to meet with them about goals. What are some strategies that you think um, they can really employ to help them just to get their athletes to not only do this, but not, not have that same notion that I did of it. Like, man, don't feed me this stuff. Like (laughs) how can we, how can we frame that better for them? I love that. So what I, what I love about what you said was Oh, mindfulness has always been, you know, it's brought to me, you know, it's been been introduced to me as the like kind of like wispy, like yogi bit, like uh, you have to be like mindful, and then that will change. But for me, it's so important, and I tell this to my clients all the time. It's like, hey, let's do this breath work. We'll do mindfulness work, that kind of thing. But I'm not as concerned about what's happening now as I am whenever you're in traffic and your kid is screaming at you from the back seat, like. Let's talk about what happens in that situation, okay? Because you can be as calm as hell on the ground here, you know, with this, with me talking to you. But like, let's talk about the trait change that needs to happen for you to be in that calm, you know, in that situation where things are out of control and you, you know, are so tempted to kind of lose your shit. So I think about that whenever I consider an athlete, right? Because mindfulness can help someone just feel more in control because, like through trait change. So whenever you know a coach maybe has somebody in front of them, they can you know determine, okay, is this person ready to hear from me? You know, like what I what I need to say. Okay, yes. Okay, so let me relate to them, like you talked about, you know, in the book. Let me relate to them on their level of like what will make sense to them. And then how do I adjust my message to help them figure out let's get some, how to get some trait changes, right? And so that is more of the work that I would be focused on with those people is, okay, yeah, we can do these state changes. We can do breath work. We can, you know, you know, kind of introduce mindfulness, but like, Hey, let's talk about like, how do you show up whenever, you know, we're in a really tough situation in this game and you need to maintain your sense of control in your body. And that ties into a lot of what I focus on is self-regulation. And, you know, the cool thing about mindfulness is that it allows you to be more self-regulated. But for some people, if they've grown up in really chaotic environments, it's really challenging. So you have to first teach them how to self-regulate through co-regulation. And, you know, some people might be like, oh, you know what? Like, whoa, this is too much. You're a therapist. I'm not going to do it. Uh, No, you can do this with your kids. Like you can do this with other adults. All it does is you learn to regulate your system and then they can feed off of you and you can kind of teach them how to self-regulate through your own sense of calm. You know, so if a coach in themselves is kind of losing it and they're not, they're not maintaining then their sense of control, that would be a great place to start as well is with their own personal development so that they can learn how to kind of the, the, their athletes can learn how to regulate as well. When you got to some, yeah, you got to some gold there for sure. I, I think the real key to that answer was that it starts with the coach. And so yeah. a lot of times people will think, well, how do I do this with the athletes? And so, well, take a step back. How do you do it with yourself? Cause I think we've all had moments as coaches 
that, you know, we, we probably acted a role or, or we've gotten kind of too into the moment or maybe not in it enough. I know some coaches that are just kind of this stoic, they never show emotion, but, you know, being flexible in, in the way that you express certain emotions, being flexible in the way that you take in certain feelings, all these things like you, your athletes need to see you as a real person. And, you know, sometimes like just being, being a little bit more present in terms of how am I behaving right now? Is this really, you know, what they need or is this what I think they need? And I'll say that again, the way that you're behaving, is it what they actually need or what you think they need, which in all irony, for those of you listening that are huge programming nerds, it goes back to something I talk about again and again and again, a lot of times people will overcomplicate their programming, putting exercise or different loading protocols. And really you have to ask, is this more for me? Is this more for the athlete? Because mm-hmm. coaches will do all kinds of things to entertain themselves. And one other point, I'd be interested to see if you agree with this, Amy, and feel free to shoot it down. But I think a lot of times it's just the bow that is wrapped in these things. So if you look at the definition of resilience, right? Resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties and toughness, right? Like there's this, there's this, just inherent toughness. And I don't want to say mental toughness, but this ability to adapt to this ability to flex to circumstances. A big part of that is, is coexists with mindfulness as well, right? Like how resilient somebody is. If you're not really in the moment and, and you don't really know who you are and, and you're not present minded in terms of how you're behaving and the consequences of those actions that can impact resilience. Can it not? Yeah, I think so. I, I, it's interesting to think about it in those, in those terms. I've always, you know, resilience is such a fascinating thing. I think, you know, you see somebody who's been through like intense experiences. Everybody's probably seen this, you know, if they have a, you know, a client that they work with or an athlete, you're like, wow, how did you go through that? And now you're here and you're kind of like, this is incredible. And then, you know, some, <clears throat> you know, someone who experience like a small trauma and you're like, <clears throat> and then their, their level of resiliency is like close to nil. And you're like, well, okay, this is so strange because you are able to do this and then you're able to do this. And so to me, it's a, it's a really fascinating topic. And I do believe that mindfulness can have a huge play, like, you know, play a huge role in that because what it allows you to do is it allows you to know your role. So if something happens in a situation, right? And if you're mindful enough to be aware of, okay, where's my place in this situation, then you can kind of understand, oh, whenever that happened, that wasn't about me. That was about their law, like what they were dealing with, right? And so that can, you know, I think increase resilience for sure. Hey, sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to ask you guys something real quick. Have you used your discount code for livemomentous.com yet? If not, be sure to do so. Code Brett20, that's B-R-E-T-T-2-0 at livemomentous.com. Whether that's their sleep product, their strength recovery whey protein, essential grass-fed whey protein, their endurance recovery whey protein, any of those things, you will get $20 off by using code Brett20. These are the cleanest, safest supplements on the market. Most importantly, this is an organization that has supported me since I started this podcast. They believed in it, they backed it, and they're the reason I can give you free content. So I appreciate all of you that reach out and you know thank me and all that, but you know I wouldn't be able to do it without people like Momenta. So please, please, please show your support. LiveMomentus.com, code Brett20. All right, back to the episode. 
Well, it goes back to that ABC model of resilience. I think this was based on the work of uh, Albert Ellis. But when you look at this ABC model, it says, all right, A is adversity. That's when somebody's in a challenging situation. B is belief. So that's how somebody interprets the situation. And to me, that's a lot of where mindfulness or decoding what what's going on here. Where am I at in the moment? That's where that resides. And then the C part of that is the consequences. So what do you do or feel as a result of the situation? So I think mm-hmm. all of us have periods of our lives where we're in difficult situations, but how we interpret that and what we do as a result of that, that's that model of resilience Albert Ellis talked about. And to me, that's 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 an element of mindfulness, or at least that's how I interpret it is, you know, where am I at in the moment? What's my interpretation of these things? And then how am I going to what is going to be a reflection of my character and the way that I think this should be dealt with. Cause if you don't go back and you kind of don't recalibrate where you're at in that moment and you're not interpreting the situation correctly, you, you can't be aware, you know, it goes back to the person situation context. Like there's a lot of times of whether, are you going to react or are you going to respond here? And you see this with, I mean, just even banal things in social media, you know, something happened the other day and it was funny from, from a psychosocial standpoint, I, I was going to, my wife and I, we, we belong to a commercial gym that we'll go to sometimes just to get out of the house and do different stuff where we're like, because otherwise nine times out of 10, I'm working out in the garage. Right. And, you know, this person and everybody's got a situation like this. Nobody was using the squat rack. Nobody. The <laughs> yeah. minute I go over there, some guy's like, oh, hey, I was using that. And I'm like, dude, I've been doing cleans and I was doing other stuff. And I've been in here 35 minutes. You have not been on that squat rack. Nobody has. But the minute I go over there, you get territorial. And then I thought about it because it it was so in line with something I saw the other day. You know, you'll on social media, you'll have strength coaches that people get really territorial about their thing. So let's say somebody's the speed guy mm-hmm. and this guy will remain quiet on social media forever. But the minute he sees somebody else talk about speed in a way that he's like, oh, no, no, no. Well, this is my domain. And they kind of self-advertise on their Instagram page and they'll talk about all the people they trained. And so it's really interesting. <laughs> It's really interesting, this territorialism that goes on in in many different professions, but especially the performance world and how much of that even goes into the mindfulness or just like, where are you presently? And what is this, you know, trigger, trigger, it's funny. I know that's the clinical term, but I think it's, it's tough for me to swallow too, because it's almost become comedic where somebody's like, oh, (laughs) the color purple. Yeah. The color (laughs) purple that's, I'm triggered by the color. It's like, dude, no, you're just soft. Um, right. But yeah. where where does mindfulness sit with with folks that kind of deal with this insecurity or this territorial or even just competitive nature? How can they harness that, you know, it, to bring them more into this middle ground of not letting a moment get control of them? Mm-hmm. Say you're with the most competitive person <laughs> in the world, which I'm sure, you know, like, where do you bring them back down to baseline so they don't let it? It doesn't get the best of them. Mm, that is such a good question. Uh, I'm not putting you on the spot at all. Oh, no, not at all. No, I, you know, it's interesting because I really feel like it would come back to what am I feeding into in them? Because I can't expect them to be on a certain level, you know, if I know that they are the most competitive person in the world. Yeah. And then, you know, I can't be like, okay, time to meditate. You know, to, um, <laughs> They'd be like, I'm out the door. They'd be like, mm, yeah. Bye. Exactly. Yeah. And so what I would probably just do is just not feed into it. Just be like, oh, okay, that, that's that's what's working for you. That's what, you know, that's what's going, you know, that's what's going on for you. And then, you know, I've done this with clients before, like, but how is that? How's that working out? Like, how, what are your relationships like? You know, 
you know, what is it like when, when you walk into a room? Do people kind of skitter away from you or are they actually drawn to like the story that you're, you're saying, the, the things that you're doing? You know, so that's probably more the route that I would take if I was in that situation um, is just kind of be very, very self-regulated and just be super grounded in how I'm doing and then, you know, hope that it would help them feel more safe and open to be a little bit more vulnerable than on guard because yeah yeah that's something that i notice so much with people is like the fact that they haven't had a sense of you know what does it mean for me to be calm and safe with another person and so if they can just begin to learn that it can open up a lot of doors and you're right it does change the the thing that you always have to get pass with these folks that are in that mindset and they're just kind of have this primal desire to keep pushing is to just stop for a moment. But you do hear, I mean, you hear athletes, everybody from LeBron to Kobe to different quarterbacks in the NFL to fighters talk about this. You know, a part of what gets them to a certain point in their career is, of course, their athleticism, of course, their their uh, the energy and just the skill set and all these other things that they bring. But when they get to the highest level, when they get to the championship moments, it is being able to slow things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, my family, you know, my, I, I probably get this from my father, but I'm, you, we're all a little bit more, when we're angry, we get more focused. We never do anything self-destructive, you know, when we're angry. I mean, I, when I was in college, if I had a friend that, you know, if he broke up with a girl or whatever, you know, everybody's got that friend that they just went and got like trashed. For me, like I would always do something focused on self-improvement. That didn't make me better than that person or whatever. That's just how I dealt with it. I just felt like I've got to do something, you know, to make myself better. And um, where that became a bad thing was obviously my hospitalization. So Mm -hmm. that's where I'm trying to give the audience an idea of this. My way isn't always better, but I tend to, whether it's, you know, 10 in the morning or 1230 at night or midnight, if I just get pissed, I would go channel it into something. But being able to step back and be like, all right, is this the right thing? Is this the right thing for the moment? And so what I'm trying to get people, you know, if you're, if you're listening and you have this checklist is like, you have to understand not just the personality factors. And I'm going to talk about some of those in a moment, but the situational factors. So like who's involved, Mm -hmm. what's happening, where's this action taking place? Like what's your goal structure within that? Can you just take three to five minutes to outline a strategy? Cause otherwise it's like you're Napoleon on the battlefield of Waterloo. Right. Like you're going to get like you're going to get outsmarted and then your emotion is going to take over and it's going to cause you to do things that you normally wouldn't have done in a rational situation. And now you didn't just lose the battle. You lost the war. Amy, how pervasive is that in day to day where people think like, oh, it's just this one time or whatever. And then it just led to this deconstruction of everything around them that they didn't see coming as a result of their behavior. So can you reframe your question? Like, can you? Yeah. Like it just when people think like, oh, it's just this one time or yeah, I did it. It's not that big of a deal. You know, when they're not focusing on the, I want to say the compound interest of their actions, right? They tend mm-hmm. to think like, oh, God. oh when, it, yeah. when it matters, I can dial it in. And you're like, no, like, cause everything that leads up to this <laughs> yeah. and, you know, matters. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we are some of the the small small things that we do every single day, right? Like I think, um, I don't know if you've read Atomic Habits, but James Clear talks about every action, you know, every choice you make is a vote towards the person that you want to be. So I bring that into, you know, what we talk about whenever someone says like, oh, well, that happened, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. If, so, if somebody says that, in, you know, with you in, se- in, in a session or in a, you know, whatever is going on, you can bet that that's happening a lot more often. 
So, <clears throat> you know, what I would do is just kind of bring someone back to that awareness, bring someone back to the fact that, hey, like, I wonder how that is impacting your you in the long term if you continue to say, oh, well, you know, even if you think about diet, like, oh, I just, you know, every, every Saturday, Sunday, and sometimes Monday, you know, I just, I go ahead and eat whatever I want. And then, you know, kind of sometimes it trickles into Tuesday. And then, you know, Wednesday, I'll go out and, you know, have, you know, drinks and, you know, 17, you know, chips and salsas. But, you know, it's like most of the time I, I eat pretty well. And you're like, okay, <laughs> let's get some real awareness into like what is actually happening in those situations that is impacting you in the long term. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I just think that it, it can be hard because we have these devices that are really, you look at smartphones and everything now, it's, these are attention devices more than they are productivity. I mean, oh, they're literally engineered yeah. to keep us focused on that. And there's some good in that. Like somebody would say, well, yeah, but there's now people can do headspace. People can do all these things on the phone for sure. I'm not vilifying technology. I think the hardest thing is though that people, they can, what's hard about it is getting them to understand how important it is sometimes to slow down and redirect mm -hmm. and is because they'll immediately get onto something else. And this is why combat sports was so important for me because you had to slow down the fight. Mm -hmm. You know, my first few fights I'd go in and as an amateur, like you would go in and you'd have three, two minute rounds, which sucked. Like I would rather have 10 three minute rounds, which is a way longer fight, mm -hmm. but gives you more opportunity to pace yourself. Where, like, as an amateur, if you have three two minute rounds, you don't really get the benefit of being able to slow down, read your opponent. You got to score. And that is a, probably an appropriate analogy for how I approached 98% of my life. And sometimes it still gets the best of me is I feel like because I had family that died young, before, because I was hospitalized young just because of, you know, I know we're not around long. Mm -hmm. Um, I always felt this urgency. So I just boom, 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 like throw metaphorical punches. Right. And right. I didn't sit back and pick those shots well enough because I just thought if I attack everything with energy and passion and all these things, you know, it'll work out in the long run. And you know what, for the most part it did. I don't think I would have been naive enough to try to write the book and do all this other stuff. But the older you get, the more you realize like, no, like I've got to stop for a moment. I've got to see what my opponent's doing. I've got to understand how to dodge, dip, faint, you know, all these pieces. And that's what leads to the big counter punch. And I know it sounds silly to think of mindfulness and, and your attitude or situational context or just all those things as a boxing match, but it's how I relate to it. And it's what really actually got me open, more open to the concept to begin with. Does that metaphor completely fall on its face or does it make sense to a licensed professional such as yourself? No, I like that. I like that analogy because you are you you're aware of the fact that wow i wish i had a little bit more time and then you're like okay well we don't technically have more time but what you can do is just get more aware right if you want to slow down time just get more aware you know I create more pockets what do you say <laughs> create more pockets yeah. like you have to create pants. more yeah yeah you got to wear those cargo pants you're not wearing <laughs> simple no that was high school leggings. the khaki cargo pants and puka <laughs> shell that was high school yeah exactly um you know but you get connected to the moment you know we've probably all done this like you go on vacation and you're in the airport and then all of a sudden it's like you're coming back and you're in the airport again and you're like where did my trip go and you know there's no way to 
you know, be able to get that time back. There's no way to, you know, get more time, but there is the way for you to slow down time, you know, so you can't make those rounds three minutes. Like that's the rule, right? The two minutes. And so you have to get connected to the present moment because that is what allows you to slow things down. Um, so talk to me then about how you use cold and breathing and all those things as a tool for people to slow down. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to talk about that. So let me think about this. Um, you can start wherever you want. This time's yours. Thank you for that permission. There you go. <laughs> it has to do with getting uncomfortable, right? Like being able to really truly kind of almost rewire, not necessarily your nervous system, but your response are to you, those are you gonna let me answer or do you oh, okay all right there we go. i was trying to help you i was trying to throw you a bone i thought this was second city for a minute <laughs> no. here we go yeah. <laughs> okay so everything so let me let me start with a little bit because i want to make sure that people aren't just like one ass bass like what is this girl talking about so with something that brett and i did together in uh in Kauai was uh we worked with a company called xpt so it stands for extreme performance training which was founded by gabby reese and laird hamilton <laughs> and so they wanted a way to communicate to people the 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 pathways that they use to maintain their health. And so they use breath, movement, and recovery. So with the work that I do, I would say I use breath work and recovery, and then I mix in movement as well. Obviously, I'm still a trainer, you know, I still coach, that kind of thing. But what I do with breath work and recovery work, and it ties in with mindfulness, is the fact that most often, you know, kind of people live in these really comfortable worlds or lives. You know, we we live in like this 70 degree land where it's like we go from our car into the house and like, you know, we've got the heat on or the AC or, you know, in either environment. And so we're not kind of pushed outside of these comfort zones where we're forced to be made aware. And I think about this with clients who have anxiety, um, you know, so often they think the answer to working with anxiety is to push it, push it away, to get, get over it, to like make it go away. And really like the answer is to be able to, in the moment, deal with adversity. And so we create adversity by using ice baths. And, you know, so I will have people in session and they will step up to the ice bath and they will just, tears will start welling up in their eyes because of the fact that they feel so anxious about what they're stepping into. And they're like, why am I crying? Like, why am I upset about this? And, it, you know, for me, like I have to just come back to, this is hard. This is, you're choosing to do something. You're choosing to step into pain. You're choosing to step into a situation and then you're forced to bring yourself under control. So you step into an ice bath that's 30 to 40 degrees and you, you know, settle in and you, your body moves into that sympathetic, oh my gosh, get me out of here. This is not safe, right? And so you breathe really hard and heavily because you're so afraid of what's happening. Your body is just responding in that automatic way, autonomic, right? That autonomic part of the nervous system. And what you get to do is use your breath as like a remote control to your brain and calm your body down. So, and what shows up for, for my, my clients, you know, and participants who come to my ice and heat sessions, they come back to me months later and they're like, oh my gosh, that changed my life. Like I have this like new resistance or like an ability to deal with uh, the cold or 
I, you know, I, I, sh- I realized like how much that self-regulation piece came into, you know, the like, conversations like at work or with my job. And so that's how I use <clears throat> those environmental triggers to allow people to connect that deeper part of themselves so that they can regulate. Well said, thorough answer. And I, I wanted to explore a little bit more of what you mentioned just in terms of introducing adversity. It's so scary how much people tend to not realize that comfort is a drug mm-hmm. and the majority of them are addicted to it. Like when we have to start introducing ice baths to people as a way of, you know, adversity, not that they're not worthy of that at all. Just meaning like the fact that most people won't seek that out on their own. I mean, that really is. I mean, think about this. The absurdity is it's no longer, there used to be a time where if you had a blanket, man, was that a luxury? That was like comfort. Yeah. Now it's like, you got to have a heated blanket, but wait, that's not comfortable enough. Now we have to have heated weighted blankets, you know? (laughs) And it's like heated, weighted, scented blankets. And it's like, at what point are we just going to try to like actually merge someone with a couch? You know, just like, (laughs) oh, it's ultimate comfort. This is the couch that you get to wear. Yeah. Yeah. This is the couch that you can take with you. Um, But, you know, so when people, when you're trying to introduce this adversity to people's lives and they've never done an ice bath, they've never done any of that stuff before, and you're trying to talk them through it. What are some typical forms of resistance you get where they're like, uh, uh, hell no. And then how do you kind of talk them into that? How do you, mm-hmm. how do you get them to, to trust you in that standpoint? Well, I feel like I, you know, it's interesting because people come to my sessions and they're choosing it, right? They've paid to attend this. They're like, why am I here? You know, what am I doing here? You know, kind of thing. And so I already kind of have someone who who's in, right? Like my my client is here. They're ready to, to choose it. I would say it's really fascinating whenever I go into general population. There was a, a few months ago, I went to a gym and I taught just five minutes of breath work and, uh, after a session. And the, the people who were at the workout, they didn't really know that I was going to do it. And so we just moved right into it. I didn't give them like a choice. It wasn't like, uh, if you would like to leave, you can leave. Um, but we right. are going to do And I was just like, okay, lay down on your back, hand on the belly, hand on the chest. We're going to breathe five minutes. That's it. There were several people who just sat up and like watched and didn't participate. And I was like, huh? Oh yeah. There are people who don't actually get this and understand this. And so I just have to shift my message or, you know, and, 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 or, you know, also don't take it personally, you know, just the fact that they just don't know. And so I have to kind of shift it to where they will understand it. First off, it will, you know, make sense for their context and kind of just bring them into the, um, the idea of, of what we're working on and what the ultimate goal is. And so for some people, that means I talk a lot about the science. I'm like, okay, we like, we're going to talk about the physiology, how your physiology changes whenever you're in the ice bath and you know, why it can be helpful. And then we're going to talk about, you know, that regulation piece. And so, you know, that's how I usually take it, take it through for clients, like who feel a little bit like, what, why am I doing this? What, why should I do this? I get them connected to the fact that, okay, so sometimes you're in situations where you don't feel like you have a lot of distress tolerance, right? So that's what, you know, 
we call it that, you know, in the therapy world, like your distress tolerance window. And I think about that of like, if you have a very small window, that makes you a less powerful person. So what we're doing is we're increasing your tolerance. We're increasing that window of distress tolerance so that you can be in a situation and you can be like, nah, I've been colder. <laughs> you know, like I think about that, like there was a time where, um, I was on a run with my sister in Texas and it was so cold outside. It was raining. It was just kind of miserable. And I was like, you know what? I've been colder because I had been in a nice bath. And so that's just really like an example. That's not like a perfect, you know, I guess line drawn. But to me, that's just like an example of how this work can change you. Right. And so that's what I'll get into with people is like meet them where they're at. Some people are ready to hear it. Some people aren't, and that's okay. And then get into science and then talk about, okay, but also the mental, you know, strength that you gain from this is really powerful because we can increase that window of distress tolerance. Thorough. Yeah, I think <laughs> now it's, I mean, it makes sense to me. I mean, partially because this is a little bit of you know, the, the influence piece is a lot of what I study, especially for my doctoral work and anybody that's taken bought in, you guys would recognize what she said there is she primarily leans on a rational persuasion method. And, you know, that's just giving them the science, giving them the breakdown. I mean, like she said, she's already working with people that are coming to her for a reason. They're open to exploring more facts and uh, details about themselves and their own lives already. And so even though rational persuasion isn't going to work for everybody, I mean, we see it all the time where you give people stats, statistics, facts, figures, and it doesn't change their behavior. For some people, that is absolutely the linchpin and the mm -hmm. key to that. Yeah. I wanted to, this may seem a little bit goofy, but this is something I've always wondered. And I think that it, are, you you travel a good bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. I travel a fair bit. A decent bit. All right. So one thing that I felt like always made me self-aware is the massive amount of travel that I did over the past probably five or six years of my life. And you just have this intense feeling of, I mean, there's excitement at first, especially when doing international travel, right? You're going to a new place. You're doing this. Like, I've never flown this airline before. Like, what am I going to do? You're, you're just, you're constantly being forced with new inputs. But after a while, like you've done it so much that like, I mean, man, I remember like I'd be on a flight uh, to China on Halloween, or I'd be on this, or I'd be, and you're taking these flights that, you know, overnight red eyes. And like, it's funny because when I used to watch movies as a kid, these people that were always on planes and always traveling, they always seemed so much older than I was, right? Like it was like, it was, a, it yeah. was, and I, I'm not saying these people are old. So if you're listening, don't get offended. But you know, the, the storyline of these movies was always like the 45, 50, 55 year old business person. They're constantly on the move. Here I was like in my mid to late twenties, early thirties, and it, like I was still traveling 80, 90,000 miles a year sometimes. And like what was weird about it is you're alone and you're alone a lot and you have to wander around a city and sometimes your biological clock is screwed up. So I'd be, you know, in Portugal wandering around like just to try to like explore the city, kill some time and it'd be 1130 at night. And when you're alone like that, at least for me, I think I've always loved the night. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I like the solitude of it and the solitude of flying and all these things has always given me a lot of time to reflect. What what can you say, you know, so we, we know your thoughts about like the cold, but what other role, like what other environments can people create for themselves to facilitate more mindfulness, more self-awareness, any of these things? Yeah, definitely. I think honestly getting outdoors and, you know, that doesn't mean like I live in Denver, Colorado, so there's like thousands of miles of hiking 
you know, within like an hour of me. Um, and so I, I'm in that unique you know, situation for that. But I don't think that you should let the fact that you don't live in a perfect environment prevent you from getting outdoors because getting outdoors is moving out your door. And I would say get move into practices where you like leave your phone behind. And so you're not distracted and you're not continually finding places where you are just stimulated, you know, in that way. You know, I think about it like in the sense of I encourage people all the time to get bored. You know, I the best thinking I have sometimes is whenever I turn all music off in my car and I'm just driving and just just there, just flowing kind of in the moment, or if I'm on a hike or that kind of thing. Some of my most mindful moments have been, you know, walking or, you know, just being separated from stimulation. And so I think that's a big piece of like how people can step, like begin to step into that discomfort. And for some people that might be really scary because they're not used to that. And so um, I think that that could be, you know, a powerful way for people to use that. And I'm all about beginning with like small steps. I, you know, I really, I get frustrated with people who, you know, have all these like grandiose ideas of how to change people. And for the most part, what I've seen is just continual work that is just small steps where we say, okay, what about like, could you meditate one time this week? Okay. Well, maybe, you know, in a couple of weeks we can increase that to two times this week. And, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of work is what I, what I love to do with people. Makes sense. And well, listen, I've put you on, <laughs> I've put you on, um, I would say I, I've, I haven't given you always a lot of heads up and this is one thing that's good about the show though. Like, you know, I, and I told you beforehand, we're going to do this unscripted. They're always unscripted. And I think it's just a way for people to always see naturally like one, does this person really know their stuff, which it's evident that you do Two, can they apply it in a variety of contexts? And I want to thank you for being such a good sport because saying, hey, how would you do with this athlete or how? And I think the best, the key takeaway, and a lot of times, like, guys, you need to rewind the part of this where we were talking about how can you, if you deal with groups of athletes, what should you do? And the key, the goal there was where she stopped and she goes, well, what about the coach? And I really do want to point the finger at the majority of you listening in a friendly way of saying, like, you've got to realize as the orchestrator, as the conductor, as the lead, so much of this stuff goes into you and it can change the way that you run your sessions. And for those of you that are a little later in your career, you know, like if you if you compare how you coached in your 20s and all those things, even if you are super strong technically, I'm just talking about the attitudinal shifts, the way you budget your energy, the way you budget your focus, you know you're different here. And that's where Amy's work can really, really, really help you guys and, and getting into this. Don't think that it's fluff. It's absolutely not. And Amy, if they want to reach out to you, can you share the various mediums that they can they can get a hold of you and they can uh, learn from you? Yeah, absolutely. So you guys can email me, amy at truecorehealth.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, just to truecorehealth, all spelled correctly. That's a big pet peeve of mine. People are like, is it true? Like T-R-U? And I'm like, no. It is as if you would spell it, you know, like it wouldn't be like art of coaching, like RT of coaching. No. So that is, yeah, that that's how people can reach me. Email, Instagram, my website, just www.truecorehealth.com. Um, please reach out with any questions, like connect with me. I love working with people. I love collaborating with people. I think something that is really important to me um, is the fact that there will always be a seat at the table of people who want uh, to help people, right? Like 
don't worry about competition. Like, don't worry about, you know, like, oh, is this going to like throw someone off if I like, you know, do breath work in Denver along like, and Amy does too. It's like, no, like you, there are enough people in this world that. It's not Game is, of Thrones. Yeah, exactly. There, <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, that there is room. There is always room for someone who wants to help another person. Um, yeah, that's what I'm passionate about. So yeah. All right. And guys, as always, you'll be able to find all this information in the show notes. Please be sure to leave a review. It really helps this information reach more people like you. Amy, I want to thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we could have talked for so much longer, but, um, I'm just, I'm happy to be able to share just a little bit of what I do. Yeah, we'll only do a round two if you decide uh, that you're open to freestyling um, with the background music from the intro. We're still waiting for a guest to take that challenge, um, you know. So you'll have to you'll have to think about that, and then uh, we'll we'll figure <laughs> okay. it out. Okay, I'll uh, I'll uh, think about that for sure. <laughs> Easy enough. Oh, you're still listening. Listen, I'm glad that you stuck around for a little bit. I want to make sure you guys know about the newsletter that I put out each month. I'm not somebody that tries to inundate uh, your inbox or anything like that, so you don't have to worry. You're not going to hear from me every day. I have a job and family responsibilities, much like all of you. But I do put out a newsletter that has helpful links. Uh, it'll showcase new episodes, new events. It'll tell you where I'm going to be and, and what I'm going to be speaking on. So if you're interested, make sure to go to the show notes or you can go to artofcoaching.com backslash start. Again, that's artofcoaching.com backslash start. Join the newsletter. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with everything. I announce anything I do there first. It always gets announced through the newsletter first and then social media and everything else. So artofcoaching.com backslash start. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Appreciate you joining me.